What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. 71% of the population have had intolerable bosses. I get rid of them. Now, here's the thing. Bad bosses typically aren't bad bosses because they want to be bad bosses. Bad bosses are bad because they haven't been developed. They don't know how to be good. They haven't been trained and coached. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. Hi, I'm Michael Wenderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. Have you ever had a terrible boss, a toxic peer that you had to deal with, or a person on your team that leads others and are driving great people away? Your answer, I am sure, is yes, and your blood pressure just rose. But have no fear. My guest today is going to give you hope, but more than hope is some tools. It is none other, my pleasure, to welcome leadership guru, Dr. Gary McGrath. And he is the guy who says he gets rid of bad bosses or turns them into great leaders. I cannot wait for our discussion today. Dr. Gary is the CEO of Staterius, a leadership firm based in Raleigh, North Carolina. After serving as an officer in the U.S. Army, he went on to a 40-year business career in manufacturing, information technology, and marketing with Fortune 500 companies and technology startups. In the early 1990s, he began his business consulting and training career as an associate with the Covey Leadership Center, that's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and instructor with Blanchard Training and Development, Situational Leadership, and the One Minute Manager. Dr. Gary holds degrees in engineering from the University of Connecticut and ever the lifelong learner, a doctorate of business administration in marketing and leadership from Nova Southeastern University. He is also the author of A CEO's Journey, The Seven Steps of Intentional Leadership. But all of those accolades pale in comparison to a personal note that you won't find on his CV. Dr. Gary served in his spare time back in the day as my tennis coach back at the age of 15 and 16. He has risen in his tennis as high as 22 nationally later in life and in number two in the U.S. in the father-son doubles category. It was back then, however, that I saw him truly in action, getting me to think point out what was not serving me with insight, candidness, and a touch of humor. Dr. Gary, welcome to 97% Effective. 
Thanks, Michael. I'm pleased to be here. I, I, I love the name of your uh, podcast, 97% Effective, because trying to be perfect is exhausting. It is exhausting. And speaking of names, let's start with Staterius. Not a word that many people know. I had to look it up, but what does it mean and why did you choose it? Well, a couple of reasons. You know, when you're looking for the name of a company that you can use it for a .com, it's not easy to find something out there now that'll, that'll work and that's simple. But Staterius is actually Latin for to stand firm or balanced. So I liked, I liked the idea of the ancient language and the idea of the, the definition of it to be balanced. So that's why I use it. Although I have to admit, having a degree in marketing, people tell me it's a terrible name. It's a terrible name because people don't remember it. And my, my good friend, uh, Robert, who's the vice president of a large public firm, always says, how is Sagittarius doing? <laughs> so- <laughs> Sagittarius, we will remember that. We will get people to Thank remember you. it. Gary, the show is about hard truths, about navigating careers and workplaces. Any hard truth you want to just call out and get people to think about as we dive into the show? Well, first of all, it's all about leadership. Our mission is to make good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability and the ability to balance these vague concepts of compassionate accountability is, is difficult. It's really hard. It's hard to be in a leadership position. It's hard to be a leader. And yet studies show, research shows that only about 30 to 40% of the general population should ever be in a leadership position. Everybody can learn more effective leadership capabilities. Everybody can. You can learn to communicate a little better. You can learn to ask questions and listen better. You can learn to write better. You can learn to engage human beings in a more effective way. However, there's a higher need when you're in a leadership position to demonstrate really effective decision-making and interactive relationship building. And not everybody can do that. That's a hard truth. And a lot of people say, oh, I want to be a leader. I want to be a manager. Why? Because they, they look at the dollars and they think that, that they're going to make more money doing that. But they're going to be miserable. And they're going to make everybody around them miserable because they're going to fail because they don't have the basic skills that are necessary. That's the first thing. The other hard truth is that we throw people in these positions and we don't develop them. We expect, you know, you talked about, you know, I, I love this idea going back to when you were 15 or 16 uh, playing tennis. And I, I learned how to play tennis when I was 18, 19 years old. Same thing. It'd be like throwing you into a tennis match and saying, okay, Michael, here's a racket. Here's three tennis balls. Now go play. And you go, well, but I don't even know how to score. I don't know what the rules are. Yeah, don't worry about that. Just, just go play. That's what we do every single day. When we promote leaders, we promote managers and and individual contributors into vice presidential positions, into director's positions, into supervisory positions, and we don't develop them. It's like handing them a tennis racket and saying, go for it. And then we expect them to be effective. That's a hard truth. I I love that analogy. I love hearing you speak. And this show will be you sharing and talking much more than me. I get to ask the questions today. When people see you speak and they hear more of you today, because you're very eloquent, you make really strong points, they'll say, well, Gary's a talker. He's real extroverted. But I want to call out that what has made you a really effective coach and leader is that you listen very well. Can you share how you develop that skill or even a, a practical tip that people should be thinking about so they listen more? That's, that's a, a deep 
and long answer. I'm gonna back it up for a second because I'm gonna ask you the question. I'm gonna put you on the spot here. I love doing this. <laughs> and, and ask you what I ask a lot of people, whether it's in sales or in leadership, what's the most important skill of a leader? I very much say it's around listening. It's about understanding right, others. Right. And that's what, that's what everybody will say, and it's wrong. Tell us, Gary. The most important skill of a leader is questioning. Mm. It's the ability to ask really good questions and then listen. So the two mm. go together, right. right? But great salespeople ask great questions. Great leaders ask great questions. And they, like you said, they, they listen for the input of the others. They listen for their perspective. And based on that perspective, they respond. And they, either in sales, they provide for them what they need, or they say, you know, I don't think I have anything for you. And they walk away because in sales, what we want to do is disqualify quickly. How do you do that? Ask great questions. Mm. So to answer your question, I think, though, for myself historically, is I wasn't a good listener when I was younger. I was a good answerer. Mm. You know, we, when, when we're brought up in school, I, I've, I've just come to this realization recently when I've been working and coaching a lot of executives around how do you be effective as a leader and question. And why is it so hard to just shut up. Mm. Why is it so hard to not answer the question? And here's the reason why. How many years of school do you have you had, Michael? Add up all the years of school. You're including high school and elementary school. High those, school, oh, elementary school, kindergarten. You go back at least 16 years plus. Yeah, 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 yeah. over 20. Right? Yeah. 12 years if somebody just graduates high school and then they go to technical school. And what happens in that environment? Professor or instructor, teacher asks a question. And what do you do? You answer the question. That's how you show that you're smart. You answer the question. So early on, I'm in business and my boss asks a question. What do I do? I answer the question. And if somebody answers a question and they're wrong, I point out the fact that they're wrong. No, that's not the right answer. This is the right answer. Let me show you how smart I am. That doesn't build teams. It doesn't develop um, critical thinking. It doesn't help the team become better or help really help the boss let them know if you're competent or not. All it does is it lets people start to draw away from you because you're answering these questions or you're correcting them because you're always trying to be right. Mm. Mm. And if there's anything that I can think of in my own personal development that took me a long time to learn, and one of the things that I work with in leaders today is you don't have to be right. We have to be right. Mm. The only way we can be right is by asking really good questions, getting the perspective of others, understanding those perspectives, and then using that information with the team to engage them to go in the right direction. That requires me as a leader to shut up and listen and ask good questions, but it also requires other people. When they don't understand the question, they might say, oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, can you explain more of that? I'm trying to figure out what you mean by that, okay? It's a conversation and it's respectful. And when the respect goes to conflict, then you have conflict over the, over the topic, not the individuals. It doesn't become personal. So there's a process of communication that you're trying to bring out with listening and, and do all that. But I will, I will say that uh, in my life, as I reflect back, one of the things I regret the most were those times when I didn't take the time to ask good questions and listen effectively.
And was there a moment, Gary, that got you to make that shift? I think it's more personal than in business, mm. is the some of the failed relationships that I've had in my personal life and didn't take the time to truly hear what uh, my, my wife was saying mm. and what she needed, what she wanted to have in life. And once I understood some of that, I realized in our first marriage, I had to go separate ways because we wanted different things. But I, th I still think to this day, I could have done a better job listening mm. because that's, that's where the pain is. That's where it really hits us. I mean, you make a mistake in business, you know, for some people, they attach themselves to it. But for me, my relationship with my sons, my grand, I've got five grandkids now, Michael, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I, I find myself when I'm sitting with them, I don't. I don't say anything. I just want to hear them talk. I want to hear the way their yeah. mind works. I'm fascinated by these little people, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that curiosity and fascination in others is what has helped me generate this, this new perspective on life. Yeah. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now... Back to our interview. That takes us, I mean, very much into our topic here around leadership and, and bosses. Again, at the outset, you said this is not for everyone. To kind of set the context as we dive into this, particularly how we deal with bad bosses or turn them around, what is the definition of a bad boss and what is the definition of a good boss? So there's only two scientifically correlated characteristics of leadership effectiveness, just two. Everything else is anecdotal. You talk about these leaders and, you know, you put them up on the screen and you see all these great leaders from Abraham Lincoln to, you know, Oprah Winfrey or Mother Teresa or uh, Martin Luther King. Great leaders, all right? What separates them? And if you look at them, they're all totally different, completely different. But here's what each one of them have. They have emotional intelligence, all right? And they have effective decision-making. They know what they stand for, what their mission is, and how they're going to get there. All right, effective decision-making. And I just came across a quote recently about decision-making that I love. Is great leaders don't make the right decisions. They make their decisions right. Mm, yeah. And people look at, well, what, what, does that, what does that mean? It means that they'll, if a decision is wrong, they'll make another decision and another one and another one. It's a decision process. It's not an event. It's not we make a decision, that's it. We're not doing it again. Mm. No, every day we're going to make better and better and better decisions. Yeah. We're going to make these incremental improvements. So that's the, those, that's the foundation. When I talk to a boss, there's one value and two characteristics that I'm looking for. The value is humility. Mm -hmm. You know, will they listen to me if I'm going to work with them as a coach? And the characteristics of, of, of emotional intelligence and effective decision-making. Mm. But a, a bad boss... You know, I, I use this and I'll, I'll play the game with you, Michael. It's very simple. I, I do these networking events and ask me, ask me what I do, Michael. Go ahead. What do you do, Gary? Well, Michael, have you ever had a bad boss? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, 71% of the population have had intolerable bosses. I get rid of them. Now, here's the thing. Bad bosses typically aren't bad bosses because they want to be bad bosses. Bad bosses are bad because they haven't been developed. They don't know how to be good. They haven't been trained and coached. They haven't been taught things like I was taught with situational leadership and the one-minute manager and learning skills. I learned this at Procter & Gamble when I, I went there uh, right out of the army and they reprogrammed my brain 
But one of the things Procter & Gamble does is they teach skills, skills of communication, skills of giving and receiving feedback, skills of planning, skills of expectations and meeting management, behavioral skills, okay? If you take the raw talent of someone that has emotional intelligence and effective decision-making and develop skills with them, they could be a great leader. But when you throw them, as I said earlier, on the tennis court and make them play the match with no training, you can't expect anybody to be good or great. Some people are, but that's the old, throw them in the deep end of the pool and let them see if they can survive, right? So, you know, and get this picture in your mind where people are being thrown in the deep end. So what happens? Well, some people crawl to the, to the uh, shallow end and, and, and they jump out of the pool and say, I'm never getting in that water again. Or they stay in the shallow end. They say, I can do this job. I can do, I can stay here. And then you got some people that are dog paddling at the, at the deep end and they're getting over to the side and they're making it. You've got Olympic swimmers that are swimming back and forth because they knew how to swim already. They were great. And then you've got, unfortunately, dead bodies at the bottom of the pool, yep. okay? They drown. This is not effective. And yet we throw people into these management leadership positions every single day with zero training, coaching, and development. So I very much agree that that is going on. But I also want to ask you here, there is leadership and training is a huge billion-dollar industry. It's being taught in, you know, business school programs and so forth. And yet we get a lot of bad leaders who don't have much emotional intelligence, are not humble, all the traits that you just spoke about. What is most of the industry, I, I would argue it's most of the industry, getting wrong then? So I love this question because I spent two years researching why leadership programs fail. And we developed, we've developed in the last 10, 11 years of a leadership program that, that is highly successful. And the reason it's highly successful, I'll share some of the intellectual property. And the reason I do is because my mission is to make good bosses into great leaders with compassion and accountability. And if anybody can use what I'm about to tell you to make more effective leaders, then the whole world would be better off. You see, there's a few things that are missing when they talk about leadership development. First of all, they talk about leadership training. Training by itself in an organization is almost completely ineffective. Because here's, here's what they do. The, all right, I'm gonna go, I'm, we're gonna stick with this tennis metaphor because I'm, gonna, I'm right. gonna show you, I'm like, Michael, why can't you play tennis? You've watched Federer and Nadal play at, at the French Open, at the US Open, at Wimbledon. You can see how they play, just hit the ball like them. So they'll watch a video on how to give and receive feedback. And they'll, they'll go through a checklist and they'll have a training manual and they'll be told, okay, go do it. All right. You, you've been told how to do it. The difference in what we do is we take the what, which might be some skill and connect it with the organizational why. Why are you in business? What's your mission? What are you trying to accomplish? The cultural nuances of the context of that organization and connect those two with the how. Now, how do you connect that the two? Here's the secret sauce. It's really simple. It's really simple. It's like a bunch of stages that have to work together. Training, coaching, peer support, mm -hmm. and demonstration of application of those behaviors. 
All right. Now, peer support and the leadership program that we have, we set teams up and these teams go through the nine month leadership program together. Why do we do that? Well, because I came across some research that everybody is aware of. Everybody. Why is Weight Watchers successful? Why is Alcoholics Anonymous more successful than other programs? It's because of peer pressure for people that are going through the same life events at the same time. They support each other and hold each other accountable. In fact, the research I came across said if you have a health incident, a life-threatening health incident, heart attack, diabetic coma, a stroke that almost kills you, you're in the hospital, you will be told you need to change your lifestyle. You need to eat better. You need to exercise. You've got to do all these things, right? And you're told this. Within four to six weeks, studies show that 85% of the people that almost died revert back to their old lifestyle within four to six weeks, unless they have one thing. And that one thing is a support group of people that have gone through the same thing they've gone through and they meet with them every week. So how do you do this in leadership? Well, you create, we've created a program called Leader Step 7. And that Leader Step 7 program selects the right people, assesses them, but puts them in teams that work together for the entire nine months. Every month they have assignments that they're gonna learn. Let's say they're working in the first month on emotional intelligence and my, my problem is social awareness. I, I'm not paying attention to anybody. You know, I, I did this uh, just recently with a, an engineer and I said, All right, I want you to walk into the morning meeting I want you to keep your mouth shut and I want you to observe. I want you to write everybody's name down on a piece of paper, okay? And as you write it down, I want you to identify the emotional state that they're in at the time. And he goes, oh, you know, we have a sheet, you know, that they can look at, look right. at all these emotions, you know? Yep. And you're gonna attach what you see with where you think your, their emotion is. I said, you don't have to be right. I just want you to, what do you think? He calls me up the next day. He goes, oh my God, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm sitting there. And You've opened up a new dimension that he has never I mean, seen before. His whole world opened up. He says, I didn't realize. I said, how can you communicate with people if you don't know what emotional state they're in? If they're really upset, are they going to listen to you? No. You need to, you need to assess their emotional state. You got to take you know, inventory of your emotional state. I mean, when I was a VP of sales and marketing at companies, sometimes I was like, I'd have a bad day. I would just tell people, look, leave me alone today, please. I, it's, Things aren't, I didn't sleep last night. My, my young son was up, you know, three quarters of the night throwing up. He was sick, you know, the dog, all this stuff, right? So just leave me alone today. They'll, oh, okay. And they'd back off. So I would just tell people. But as leaders, we need to be able to read that, be able to look at your face and say, hey, Michael, how, you know, how's your day going? And actually want to know the answer, <laughs> you know? And, and see on the look on your face, as I tell people, listen, you talk about listening, Listen with your eyes. Right. 55% of the message that I get is, is what I see with my eyes, the body language of the other person, the facial expressions. The tone of voice is 38%, and 7% is the words. I've got to listen to another 97%. So to uh, answer your question, I think, I think, how do we overcome this? It's the context of the organization and the culture that engages a process of leadership development that includes teamwork, application, training, coaching. And then in, in that, they have to demonstrate the application. And we have what I believe is the holy grail of training follow-up. Yeah. Are you ready for it? Give it to us. All right. So here's what happened. 
the very first leadership program that we ran, I had a 24-year-old write me an email on a Sunday night. He said, I'm in your leadership program and I'm working on my emotional intelligence. And it's interesting that you brought up the idea of listening so early because this is exactly what he said he was working on. But in this case, he said, I was committed this weekend to listen to my five-year-old. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to what my five-year-old says. And I'm going to really focus on his responses in our conversation. So I started on Friday night and I worked through Saturday and Sunday. I have to tell you by Sunday midday, I, I, I didn't have to yell at him anymore. I didn't ask him to, three times to do something. He, he would just do it. And then he, when he would look at me when I was talking instead of just like turned the other way, it changed our relationship. It was, it was amazing. So he writes this story and I'm reading this, Michael, and it like, honestly, it's like bringing tears to my eyes that we can do these kinds of things to help not just at work, but families and, 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 uh, and uh, everything that we do. And then it's typical with me, I went, hmm, what if? What if we required everybody to write stories demonstrating the application of the skill that they're working on that month? So each month we have a skill you know, it might be giving feedback, it might be delegation, situational leadership, it might be writing a good email, it might be running a good meeting, whatever it might be. But they have to write two or three stories every month. They have thousands of stories that people have written. And what it does is it locks in. I mean, think about this. They have to think about it, do it, and then write about it. And then we share those stories with people who are in the program. We run programs of 12 to 20 people. And everybody gets a copy of the story. It's emailed to everybody. And the requirement is that the coach of that team and the team members all have to read the emails from their team members. So you get reinforcement upon reinforcement upon yeah. reinforcement. Yeah. And when I talk to people about training, I would look, just have people write a story. And they're like, huh? How, how do we now follow up in training? We send an email out. Hey, hey, Michael, you know, remember to work on your social awareness. Hey, hey, Michael, you know, remember to uh, have that uh, that uh, meeting management uh, agenda in front of you and make sure you follow that. Okay, remember to do that. So they send out reminders. Well, th th there's nothing measurable there. Right. I have measurable application in our program that is then reviewed by the team, reviewed by the coach, supported by the training and the coaching that we have. And when they have their individual coaching session, the coach can bring these up, talk to the person and say, tell me more. And it's reinforced again. We get real behavioral changes out of people in our leadership development programs, mm -hmm. but it's gotta be over time. It's gotta be integrated with the combination of training, coaching, peer support and application. If you don't do all of that, it's not gonna be nearly as effective. And that's what's wrong with our leadership development programs today. Yeah, too much one and done and uh, paying for a one-off event versus a result, right? And how do you get the result? And I love the holistic approach that you've talked about touching on all those parts around how do we get that behavioral change. And I wanna to add to this, you know, for a lot of people that, uh, I, I remember this National Speakers Association, they go in, they do a speech, they fire people up, nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's, it's good to have an event like that, have some reminders. 
And I will tell you that I never do that. Even when I do a speech, I interview people ahead of time. I give some feedback and use that for my speech. And then I have some kind of a follow-up with the group afterwards so that I can create two or three months at least of a message and a follow-up and an application. Even if it's just a short-term thing, I try to figure out some way to have a process. Mm. And I think that as leaders, we don't think enough about that. We're thinking about an event, make a decision, get a project done. We're not thinking about how do we sow seeds over time Mm that create results with people's behavioral adjustments, thinking, mindset, and so on. Yeah. I love that, the idea of sowing seeds over time. Dr. Gary, we started this conversation with a provocative focus, how you get rid of bad bosses. But we arrived at a very different place. What the billion-dollar leadership and training industry gets wrong and what we need to do instead to develop leaders. But we fell short. We did not get to see your coaching and practice, how you make good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. So I want to break here, but continue our conversation next week and do a play-by-play of how you coach a bad boss and help all the people around them who have to deal with them. Gary, great to have you on today. How do people reach you? Staterius.com is the easiest way. My email address is Gary, G-A-R-Y at Staterius, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. We already know that everybody should know this Latin word by the time we're finished here. And I'm on LinkedIn and I have a website. You can get a hold of me multiple ways, but just email me, Gary at Staterius.com. Dr. Gary, CEO of Staterius. Awesome, thank you. Join me next week on 97% Effective, as a spar with Dr. Gary McGrath, CEO of Staterius, on how he turns bad bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. See you next week. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwinderoth.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.